Are you going to be brave early? Yes, of course. Well, then pull No, it. I'm going to be rash. As oh, okay, always. then you're done. And stop on six. No, that's not rash. Rash is pulling another one. Hey, you got your ruby. No, you no. don't. Here it comes. Oh! <laughs> 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 Woo! All right. All right. I could still pull another one. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, Double Double Toil and Trouble, Fire Burn and Cauldron Boom in the Quacks of Quedlingburg. Next, we team up to crush the baddies and grab the loot as we roll our way through the world of too many bones, Undertow. And lastly, we fire up our charburners as we produce our wares Middle Ages style with Oh My Goods. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. The bravery of unearthing games cannot be underestimated. Trust me. Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis. I grieve for those willing to trust their fate to an animate cube. Hello, I'm Joe Unfried. The insult quack is short for quacksalver, a 17th century Dutch term for someone loudly hawking bottled miracle cures on the street. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and as the good doctor says, do what I do, hold tight and pretend it's a plan. Our first game up this week is The Quacks of Quedlingburg, designed by Wolfgang Warsh, published by North Star Games in 2018. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 10 and up, runtime 45 minutes. Okay, first impressions on this find, Mike? I know it smells like cough syrup, but I promise it's the perfect panacea. Joe? A game with complex decision webs, along with pretty rubies, all that, and a bag of chips. Let's get brewing. Ed? So, you make this potion by reaching into a bag of random reagents and just toss whatever you find into the pot without looking? Sure, I'll drink that. Evan, how about you? Who knew that adding the ingredient cherry bomb to a potion might make it explode? (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, being a snake oil salesman in Quedlingburg looks high risk, but... Nope, just high risk. But before we brew up some trouble, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. In the Quacks of Quedlingburg, players are charlatans, or quack doctors, each making their own secret brew by adding ingredients one at a time. Take care with what you add, though, for a pinch of too much of this or that will spoil the whole mixture. And it might explode. Each player has their own bag of ingredient chips. During each round, they simultaneously draw chips and add them to their pot. The higher the face value of the drawn chip, the further it's placed in the swirling pattern. Push your luck as far as you can, but if you add too many cherry bombs, your pot's going to explode. At the end of each round, players gain victory points and also coins to spend on new ingredients to add to their bags. But players with exploded pots must choose points or coins, not both. The player with the most victory points at the end of nine rounds wins the game. So this game has some elements of um, your classic Euro games, but it also has a lot of fresh elements. I love the spiral board and this whole brewing business was so much fun. So what did you guys think of combining a push your luck game with a Euro game? I think the the bag building elements were really cool. Just you have to pick your ingredients to add to your bag and you're not sure what you're going to draw out of the bag every time. 
Oh yeah, it was so exciting. It's like, ooh, I don't want to pull a bomb out. I could blow up my pot. But if I don't pull a bomb out, then I could get farther along and get more potions to sell. Yes, I, I know there's a blue four in that bag. There's at least two of them, Ashley. Yeah. As long as I don't pull that three cherry bomb, I'm fine. I'm gonna stop here. I'm okay. I want that green so bad. It's in there, so it's in there. It's in there. It's Use in there. all your psychic ability. There's only to one three. It. Pull it out. What are the odds? I'll Six. hold the bag. Oh wow! You actually ended a seven. Ooh. Yeah. And on a ruby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then boom. And then you pull it. <laughs> of course you pull it. Yeah. I simultaneously love and hate games like this because I always <laughs> sucker myself into going for that epic thing. And I'm, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's two bombs and one awesome chip in the bag, and I'm still going to reach in for it. Yeah, don't worry, Mike. You were there in spirit through my back because <laughs> I blew my pot up all the time. Blowing up your pot does hurt if you do it early, I feel. I feel it's more damaging to you if you blow it up earlier in the game. I could get how people are going to blow up their pots later in the game because you're really going to go for broke to try and catch up at the end. I don't think it's that damaging in the real beginning because uh, it's only like one or two victory points. But uh, in the mid-game, I think it's a little more damaging because now you have that choice of, oh, do I get those three or four victory points or do I get the money I need to buy more chips? I usually lean towards getting the money early to build up the engine to make things better in the long run. But Right. That would have worked here for sure. You definitely need to sell some potions to get money to buy more ingredients. So you so you definitely want to get get your money going early. Uh, and, you know, variety is the spice of life in this game. So I would say the different, the more different kinds of ingredients rather than going for one big one uh, is a good tactic. Although Evan went for the big one early and it really helped him out. Yeah, there was some luck on my side. I did win. Yeah, he did win. And I think there's some strategies to synergizing too. And I think Evan did that fairly well with his pumpkins. Evan did both. He bought low-end synergy ingredients and a high-end victory point engine. I, I was doing all mid-grade work and I was figuring, oh, you know, I'll get middle stuff, middle ingredients. I'll just have a bunch of stuff in my bag. I won't pull cherry <laughs> bots. What are the odds? Yeah, what are the odds? Against the odds every time I blew my pot up. I wasn't even playing high risk. <laughs> Sometimes that consistency strategy is really strong, though. Yeah. You probably did the right thing. You just didn't have any luck with it. I think another thing Evan worked out well with, he the first one to buy one of the black hawk moth. Yeah, that was the high-end uh, ingredient item, yes. And, and that was uh, allowed him to get a lot of well, drips early in the game. And I think that put him ahead pretty good. They cost 10, though. My investment in the moth early on for 10, which is relatively expensive thing to do at the beginning of the game, paid off because it, what it allowed me to do is so long as I drew that moth, I would get to advance the starting placement of the swirls in my pot. So effectively, oh, okay. each and every round, I would start further along the board that progresses in which your spiral, which gives you the money and your victory points. And since nobody else was buying the moths, I sort of had a monopoly on that, on that part of the game. And that definitely helped me along. Sometimes stuff like that happens in a game where someone sees you going towards a specific strategy and they just don't want to fight with you over it. You know, this game's push your luck aspect was more subdued, it seemed to me, than most games that include that aspect. And I mean, at first glance, you'd, you'd think that maybe that would make the game less exciting. But it, for this game, it actually made the game's luck more tempting to actually push. It was really easy to talk yourself into it. That's not that risky. It's always a balance of the risk-reward in any kind of push-your-luck game. 
And one of the other great mechanics of this game is everybody can push their luck at the same time. Brewing happens all at once. Everybody has their own bag to choose their own ingredients out of, and you just start brewing, and you push your luck on your own until you blow up or until you stop. Uh, I love games in which everybody plays basically all at the same time. It's really great when games can it's do It's great that. for balance, too, because you don't see somebody else blow their thing up and go, oh, I can play it safe now. You don't know what's going to happen with everybody. Yeah. That is interesting, Mike. I didn't think about that. The only downside is I didn't get to watch everybody <laughs> brew, and I didn't get to ta- partake in their excitement of right. what they were pulling out of their bag. So that's the only downside to it. But there is another way to play that you can't actually get that experience. They suggest everybody pull one ingredient at a time and reveal what they got. So everybody sees what everybody's doing one chip at a time. Or the other thing I think was neat about the game is the way they use the rubies. You have two uses for them. One was to to move your starting position a little bit further along the track. And the other was to refresh your flash, which has allowed you to go, oh, I don't really want to pull that white one. I'm going to put that cherry bomb back in the bag. Yeah, the flask was important. Everybody gets their own board. It's very nice, thick cardboard with colorful art on it. There's pieces like the rubies, which are actually plastic gems. Very nice. And you have a flask that's actually something you can pick up. It's a little piece of hard cardboard that's painted like a flask, full on one side and empty on the other. And that has a nice little spot on the board, too, to have a little bowl for that and a little bowl for your rat tail. It's cool. The art is really colorful and just whimsical enough to represent the mood of this game. Mm-hmm. The spell books were really cool too. They were big, thick pieces of cardboard cut in the shape of books and painted to look like open recipes. And they described the re- each reagent because there's one book for every reagent that you can add to your bag. And there's four different sets to these books, so you can actually play with four different combinations of powers for each of the uh, the ingredients. A lot of my strategy centered on the rubies, and it was mostly because they looked so good. (laughs) (laughs) That's happened to me in other games, too, where I just want to have a cool component in front of me, and it's not the best strategy for winning. Yeah. And I like the way the the rat tail is used as a catch-up mechanism, where... You use your score tracker, and if your your score is far behind the leader, you can get a little rat tail for every rat you see along on the, on the score track, and that allows you to get just a little bit ahead on your starting position. Yeah, that's right. So somebody doesn't run away with the victory points, and it gives the folks behind less of a chance to sort of catch up or mm-hmm. get a better, more advantageous starting position for the next round of brewing. Hey, is it any wonder that this game is an award-winning game. Uh, <laughs> Kennerspiel de Jahres award winner, Enthusiast Game of the Year 2018 in Germany. No, not really. And North Star Games, which uh, publishes it here in the United States, is the same company that brought us Happy Salmon and Funky oh, yeah. Chicken, which are extremely different games. Yeah, there's a lot more thinking involved in this one, it seems. Yeah, so it looks like Northstar designs their own games and also acquires games um, that may be winners in from other countries to bring them here to publish. So thank you for that, Northstar Games. And Wolfgang is the designer of The Mind, another Spiel des Jahres nominee. And if you're interested in Northstar Games, they have a very fun bio page, After My Own Heart. One of them was a sea captain uh, for 12 years. Um, another was a hedge fund. Oh yeah, a hedge fund employee who decided to get into games instead and sort of follow their dreams. So that was an inspirational little bio page if you wanted to check it out. 
Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury the quacks of Quedlingburg. Ed? I have a soft spot for alchemy as a chemist, but this is bag building, push your luck game. It's just a lot of fun, to, even without the theme. So dig this up. Joe? I'd love to play this again. Rev up the steam shovel. Dig it up. Evan? Yeah, press your luck games are usually a hit with me. This one was no exception. It was great. Dig it up. And Mike, how about you? Well, I didn't get a chance to play this yet, but I cannot wait to blow stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I think it was a miss to favor the cautious player when their theme trumpets quackery, I will dig this fun and great looking collection game up. Evan, where can you find it? Available at various online stores, the English version retails for about $50. And if you have thoughts about the quacks of Quedlingburg, we would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Too Many Bones, Undertow, designed by Josh J. Carlson and Adam Carlson, published by Chip Theory Games in 2018, number of players 1 to 2 or 1 to 4 with add-on characters, ages 12 and up, runtime 1 to 2 hours. Okay, first impressions on this find? Joe, let's start with you. I knew this would be a lot of fun when I first saw its impressive layout at PAX in Philadelphia. Evan, how about you? Dice lovers beware, you're about to find the game of your dreams. Mike? Your character sheet is a fancy custom mouse pad with dice cutouts? Sold! Ed, how about you? These bones look really nice, and they're fun to roll, so I don't think there's too many of them. More than merrier. Whoa, the production value of this game. Just whoa. I'm excited to start on this adventure, but before we hit the batty-riddled trail, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. Undertow is a standalone expansion and sequel to Too Many Bones, a dice-building RPG. The characters you play are called Gearlocks, and they are on a quest to discover and defeat one of five different tyrants terrorizing your homeland along the Cibran River in Daylor. Draw daily encounters filled with tough decisions and battles as you make your way to the tyrant's lair. Discover loot and powerful trove loot to help you on your way. Use your experience and training to develop your gear lock, unlocking new skill dice to roll as you take down unique baddies, each with their own special abilities and traits. Undertow allows for one to two players out of the box, but by bringing in additional gear locks, you can create an adventure for up to four players. This expansion features all new baddies, encounters, tyrants, and a double-sided battle mat allowing battles to take place on both land and on your raft. Uh, Before we get into the epic level component value and production value of this game, uh, it is an expansion, but it is a standalone game. And I think it's important to to reemphasize that. You could really play too many bones with just this set. You may want to start with this one to see if you'd like to expand. And you heard that right. You can play this game solo. You're right. Uh, Now, I see this game being hailed as a dice builder RPG. You all certainly seem to be enjoying the game. What would you say was the most original concept in this game's realization? First, you get so mesmerized by the absolute beauty of the production value. I mean, I honestly don't think I've seen a game with so many well-thought-out pieces with such high production value. But when you get beyond that, what do you guys think was the most original thing? 
Oh, one thing I thought was really cool, I mean, not necessarily original, but the skills that you add to the dice. Each dice is uh, a custom skill dice with very unique symbols on them, and they have a skill tree, so they add different abilities. And what's cool is every character is very different with very different skills. Evan? The fact that you're using dice not just to roll hits, defense, and the other things you traditionally sort of use your dice for. You're using your dice also as markers, as counters, as identifiers, as so many other different things, as some of the um, special effects that either come on your character or the baddies that you're attacking. And there are so many of them. The quant- I've never seen a game with this quantity of dice. There's so many different types of dice here. Uh, they're all D6s, but they're all different facings. Each character has their own unique set of dice. 16 different skill dice on their own. Wow. Plus some other stat dice. With their own dice rack. So each, each die has a specific owner? Yes, it has a color that belongs to the owner. And each face of each die represents a different level of the skill that you're using so the die itself is a skill but each side represents different parts of that individual skill oh wow Um, for for my character it was interesting because i my die would just ramp up each turn like i would turn the die to a new side to increase that skill or do something slightly different with it other people will have to roll the dice Mm -hmm. that gets into the complexity level of the rules now all over the internet you're going to see people talking about how steep the learning curve is on this game that doesn't mean play is difficult once you know how to play your character play is not very difficult each one is so unique and operates in its own unique way I love uniqueness in the characters, but I thought every aspect of every character was so different that it was hard to understand right off yes. the bat. There was a fair amount, I think, of uh, consistency in some mechanics. For example, you have the attack and the defense die. And the way the stats work, you have your uh, four basic stats, your hit points, your dexterity, your attack and defense. And I like dexterity. It was kind of neat. It's like combination of both your movement and the number of dice you can use there wasn't a lot of places to move on the board though (laughs) so i almost i almost didn't move at all because my character had some range attacks and yeah the battle the battle board is tight the battle board is so tight it's so tiny i really enjoyed that i liked it because it kept everything super focused What I found is that you're issued a card, a two-sided card, which is which was a little bit larger actually than your your dice mat that you were building your character on, and it contained all the relevant information for your character. It relied on a lot of symbolism. It relied on a lot of sort of shorthand notes, and I felt maybe that instead of just this two-page card, each character might have been better if they had their own booklet of some sort because they could have gotten into some more details, and I don't know that we would have spent so much time trying to decipher what the individual rules are for four different characters, not to mention the baddies, which have their own set of rules. And this is what took a lot of time. I thought the card is really nice in the sense that it's uh, one cheat that you can easily have it uh, as a reference while you're playing. I think a a book might have been a little bit too much to be flipping through during the game itself, although we did a lot of rule flipping. We did a lot of book flipping. (laughs) We did. 
well, let's let's be honest. Ed did a lot of book flipping for us. As <laughs> well, there was we only kept one saying, book. <laughs> Ed, what does this mean? Ed, what does that mean? Ed, how do you interpret this? He did do the most research ahead of time for that. He was also having a little bit of a hard time playing his own character because we were asking him so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to have a one sheet that had everything I needed on it, um, it was huge. As a regular D&D player, I am constantly looking for a template sheet for D&D that has everything I need and nothing I don't need on it. So not not an inch of <laughs> wasted <luck>. space. And that's <laughs> what this game was. They are printed plastic that will not break or tear. You can wipe off, get the Dorito crumbs off of it, the Coke spills. <laughs> Everything's going to come off of these. It's wonderful. Oh, the quality of the components are, are A+. Best, I think, we've used. Your character card is a, um, a mouse pad with die cutouts in it. Yes, and the die cutouts are critical. There are so many dice in this game that if it didn't have a place for your dice to slot into and the dice were just freestanding on the board, it would be a hot mess. There would be no way to keep your dice in place. It kind of gives you a cool visual, too, of your character building up in power because you see these new dice filling in the spaces. And you're right. like, yeah, yeah. And we didn't even get to the chip yet. Real poker chips. I mean, they're called chip theory. That's kind of their staple component. Here's another thing I loved about the individuality of the characters in this game. It's very unlikely that anybody's going to know all the rules. And nobody's going to think they know how to play your character better than you. Yeah, plus you focus a lot of your attention on your own character, so you don't really have time to like learn other people's character. Right, Ed? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it prevents what I like to call at the gaming table gamersplaining of my character. <laughs> so that there was nobody gamersplaining my character to me, which I really enjoyed. No rule lawyering. Um, and it kept me from being lazy. Oh, that's true. There's nobody I could lean on and say, well, if I don't know how to use this mechanic, Ed will tell me how to do it or Evan will tell me how to do it. The rules, sadly, are the one thing I think this game is a little weak on. The well-laid-out rulebook is not very consistent on its terminology. Because a lot of times it talks about moving to adjacent positions or adjacent spaces. And sometimes you can go orthogonal and sometimes you can go diagonal. And I'm like, well, what is adjacent? Is it orthogonal or diagonal? Is it both? Or is it situational? I've spent so many hours trying to figure out what the word adjacent meant. It's just infuriating. And for a game where the movement is and the tacks are so tight on a small board, that is a really important yeah. aspect. Adjacent is critical. I don't yeah. know why that's not <laughs> defined in the game. Hexes, baby. My character had a power. Uh, deal damage to all adjacent things on the board. I'm like, okay, define adjacent, please. Uh, we can't. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'll use some other power. These guys look <laughs> yeah. like they're just as far away as the guys that are uh, right <laughs> in front of me. Who gets who gets affected here? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't discriminate uh, your allies versus your enemies. You, just, you throw your power out there and it does all damage or all healing. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was another problem. W who was affected by what? Not just positionally, but by definition of who are allies. What does the word party mean? What does the word ally mean? I think some things might have seemed disparate too because they've expanded on this game. It seems complex now, but I wonder what it would be like if we had played the original game. Uh, I looked at the original rulebook to, to try to clarify these questions. The same things are in there, and that's part of the thing that infuriates me. These are like the third edition of the rulebook, and they still haven't uh, found a way to add a glossary of terms or make the terms consistent. 
Uh-oh, yeah, Ed's infuriated, y'all. Look out. <laughs> I want to say, every time I had an interpretation uh, disagreement uh, or confusion, and I consulted Ed, he always had a brilliant response. And I mean, that just goes back to like 30 years of expertise in these types of games and just I mean, being like, mm, I think it means this. I'm like, oh, of yeah, course it yeah. means that. Well, right. And even he- if he was wrong, his level of confidence reassured us that we were playing the game as right hey, as we could. Look, <laughs> as long as we're all playing by the same rules, yeah, it exactly. turns up consistent. okay in the end. Yeah. In addition to the crazy rules and components and stuff, there's also like a story to this game, the actual yeah, role-playing aspect of it, <laughs> which is cool. Do you have one scenario if you're going after this this tyrant, another one if you're going after that tyrant, another one if you're going after that tyrant? Actually, what you do is you choose your tyrant at the beginning of the adventure. So you're not going up against all of them at once. You're just picking one. And we decided to go for Colossum. This is what his epilogue said. The jungle shakes. Apes rain down from the trees as a canister containing Colossum's second brain shatters, (laughs) spilling an unknown fluid onto the jungle floor. The freshly grounded apes appear confused, as if waking from a dream. Their future behavior is anyone's guess. The knowledge and consciousness they shared with their leader has been severed, but what will they retain? They look around indifferently, but an extra spark of consciousness appears to linger on their faces. Whatever bizarre tech was at work in these jungles seems to have lingering effects. So they kind of leave you a potential part two uh, exit there. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Victory or was it? Victory for now. Yeah. (laughs) They set this up so you can do a campaign where you'll fight several tyrants now over a campaign of adventures. Yeah, it makes me want a campaign. I did all the work of learning the rules. Yeah. And did we mention this is a choose-your-own-adventure style game? This special encounter is called Eat or Retreat. Success. The escape from Obendar was draining, but now the real struggle begins. Better judgment stands at odds with the stomach's grumbling. And we're just out of the hole that we escaped out of. No! Come on, Nightshade. Nightshade hunts on the battlefield. Gasket eats treasure. (laughs) Each of the encounter cards you draw has... Well, most most of them have a choice. It's like take the hard fight for better treasure or take the easy fight. And they'll explain what why the scenario is happening the way it is. Or some encounters are not even fights at all. It's like, you know, dump as much treasure and weight as you can overboard from the ship or you'll sink. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury too many bones under tow. Evan, how about you? Choose your own adventure games are cool. The components of this game are some of the best I've ever seen. And I say, if you have three to six hours to spend on a game, then go ahead and dig this one up. Mike? It's gorgeous. It's silly. And I'm looking forward to exploring more of this ridiculous world. Dig it up. Ed? Building your characters with skill dice to roll is pretty awesome on its own. Add to that the amazing production value of the components. Ah, with the choose-your-own-path adventure, please dig this up. (laughs) Joe? Withholding judgment since I didn't play? I'd love to, though. Despite the mind-spinning crunchiness of the rules. Wow. I had a lot of fun in this immersive dice game. Yes, I am going to call it a dice game. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? This game is only for sale from Chip Theory Games on their website, chiptheorygames.com or toomanybones.com. Undertow for one to two players is 85 bucks in the original game, 
too many bones, it's one to four players, 130 bucks. Add-on characters are $25 each. Ooh, you mean you can pick characters individually? They come in their own cool box. Some of them do, <laughs> yes. The add-ons yeah. do. If you have thoughts about Too Many Bones, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game this week is Oh My Goods, designed by Alexander Pfister, published by Mayfair Games and Lookout Spiel in 2015. We played the second edition from 2016. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 10 and up. Runtime, 30 minutes. Okay, first impressions on this find. Ed? A resource management game in a small card box. And the cards have multiple uses? Sign me up. Evan? Symbolism never looked so symbolic. (laughs) Joe? An engine-building game with decent artwork. I just hope the fun is not nudged out by too many choices. Mike? Looks like a lot to think about with so few components. Oh, boy. (laughs) Another resource management card game. The competition in this area is thick on the ground, so this one better have some wow factor to grab my attention. But before we get our engine rolling, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. In Oh My Goods, you take the role of a craftsman during the Middle Ages, making use of your resources, constructing buildings, and maximizing your production chains to gain the most victory points. The cards can be used in three different ways, as a resource, as a building, or as a good. Each turn, you'll plan your production and select your building to make the most of the goods available in the community market and in your hand. Triggering your building's production chain will allow you to turn those goods into higher-end products that will earn you even more profit. You can hire assistants to help work an additional building. Once a player has built eight buildings, the game ends and the player with the most VPs wins did i miss the wow factor where was it no celeste the wow factor was the fact that you were the only uh player to actually draft one of those workers to help you yeah so the Um, wow factor was wow i made a mistake (laughs) i've actually used those workers to my benefit uh, several times it's tricky it's very tricky figuring out how to use those workers because this game is super short yeah and super tight too To me, the profit margin is extremely narrow, and I still don't see how to how to get this engine up and rolling. Well, I love the concept that you can tell your workers to work hard or work fast, i.e., conscientiously or sloppy. The foreman's lament. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that was an interesting piece. So you had a worker, and on one side the worker had a happy face, and. On the happy side, you think you're going to have enough supplies to get everything rolling right. On the other side is an unhappy face where you think you're not going to have enough supplies to run it right, but you're going to pump out whatever you can. Great. What are the 15 symbols in the center and what on earth do they mean? (laughs) The symbology in this game is really complex in a heartless Euro game style. It was not interesting to me in the way that the really complex symbology in Hotel Austria was, for example. Also, the images that the symbology used, meaning the actual drawings, I did not find them interesting, nor did I find them clear. The pile of wool looked to me like a cup of yogurt, for example. (laughs) 
well, this game needed a lot of symbols to tell you quickly what it could do because there were so many uses for each card. Well, that's true, too. I picked up the symbology of the, the production building pretty quickly. Uh, they're pretty standard in Euro games, if you ask me. Well, that's the thing, Ed, right? It's it's very classic Euro game. It's very classic Euro symbology. And it harkens me back to what I really need out of a Euro game. And I've said it many times on this podcast. Theme is everything and it needs to heavily inform play and that theme needs to be interesting well i feel Mm. like the the theme was supported a little bit by how poor you always felt during the game it supported the middle (laughs) ages pretty well (laughs) yeah it worked the middle ages i mean also i mean the game is about making goods so all the symbology is about production buildings and goods Celeste, I totally get your point. You should be able to feel a little bit more for the game that you, that you're playing, <laughs> yeah. and and yeah. perhaps there are certain things that are limiting in this game that that don't allow you to feel that. This game is so tight that you're constantly worried that you did something wrong right in turn one, and it can screw up the rest of your game. Yeah, that's true. Like this is just a resource management game. Two plus three equals five. Well, hopefully, it's two plus two equals six because you need to actually progress in the game. Like scraping out a living in the Middle Ages, I do enough scraping out a living in my own life. I, I don't need to play it. I feel that. <laughs> so I really like engine building games, and I think this was a really cool engine building game in a small package. Mm-hmm. And I think the art looks really good in the game. It had the classic Euro art, and that's because it comes from the well-known and well-regarded Clement Fons, famous for art on games like Agricola and... La Harvard and the game you already mentioned, the Grand Austria Hotel. It looked a lot like Grand Austria Hotel. I guess that made me even sadder because <laughs> because <laughs> because I had higher hopes for it. Uh, wow. <laughs> I was losing you track of what that? your hand is, what the resource power is. Watch the cups, Ed. Watch the cups. You're, you're Where's handling the, Walmart? the cards incorrectly. Where's the Walmart? Yeah. Penalty. Penalty. <laughs> Penalty. Penalty. Penalty to the judge. Yeah. Mm. The hand is my smells and the argon. I, I actually, I really enjoy games like this. Yeah, I remember Celeste had an experience with Agricola. <laughs> like, she even forbids me from even bringing it into the house anymore. Yeah. It's been banned. (laughs) I like games where you build an engine up, and this one's quick to bring out. It actually plays pretty quickly when you know how to do it. Well, for all the uh, resource games we played with the, you know, symbolism that is inherent sort of that goes along with it, this one did have some things that were very non-intuitive for me. And I I also only maybe towards the end of the game, started to understand how some of the alternate ways of producing the things really started to work. And actually, but part of the uh, complexity in the game that I really enjoyed, because the first time I played the game, oh, yeah, cool, I had this little basic engine, and then I noticed, oh, wait a minute, if I got that good and this good together, I can get my engine going twice as fast. And I tried to do that strategy the next time, and it worked a little faster. It's like, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's there, but I'm saying it's not intuitive. Right. Anybody find that the bigger buildings were worth it? They can be. You got to get them early enough, though, to pay for themselves. This is a game of not even inches. This is a game of centimeters, right? It's so tight, and you have to be done. This game is 30 minutes long. So it's like you got to get it up, get it going, get it done. Beyond the, the three uses for every card, which you no know, one is at the, the resource on the symbol, then at the building, or when it's face down under your building, it's a good. That mechanic is cool. The other one I really like is the way they do the sunrise and sunset phase, where you'll draw out a common marker until you hit two little sunrises, and that's like, oh, now 
that's the community market, and there could be more goods later, but you're not sure what. Yeah, that random factor gives you a different experience every time, but unfortunately it also adds a random factor to a game that's about tight resource management. This is also the kind of game where you need to know the deck composition a little bit too uh, to play it a little bit better. Because the cards function as multi-purpose, and if you see that somebody else has got a bunch of these cards, you have to sort of do these calculations in your head. All right, this set of resources is not as abundantly available. I may want to go a different route in yeah, my production. Or your own stuff, too. You're hiding it as a good, and then people don't know that that other resource that's on the other side of that card isn't going to be as available. Which adds to the complexity, but I also think it adds to what makes this a good game, in my opinion. To some extent, managing resources needs to be a grind sometimes, particularly when you're trying to simulate medieval manufacturing. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I will grind whatever grist the mill requires. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Oh My Goods. Joe, how about you? This is not a bad game. There are some things I like about it. But for me, the multiple roles played by each building card slowed down my learning curve considerably. I'm burying this. Evan? I enjoy resource games, and despite my struggles with some of the symbolism, not being really intuitive, I would still play this game again. So I'm going to dig it up. Ed? There's great variety in the buildings and the strategy to try. It feels really awesome to get a good production chain going, so dig this up. Mike? The purposefully stressful decisions forced by this game make it either great or unwelcome depending on the occasion. But I do enjoy a compact and relatively quick brain burner, so I say dig it up. Admittedly, I do have a high bar for resource management games. It has to be super interesting for me to want to play. So in this case, I'm going to have to say, put the game in the char burner and bury it. Mike, where can you find this game? I've seen it online for about 18 bucks, but I would check your local gaming store first. They may have a copy. If you have thoughts about Oh My Goods, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster or anywhere else. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers. Arrivederci. It's a wrap. Hey, let's see if we can get too many bones done in just three hours this time. Once a foreman could hire his own workers, pay them what he pleased, and fire them at will. But time, patience, and perseverance, the old trio still go together, and the modern foreman needs them all to hold his own, to say nothing of getting ahead. Paraphrase from an article in The American Machinist, published under the pseudonym Entropy, on January 3rd, 1918.